Thank you for listening to Lone Star Community Radio. This program was broadcasted and recorded live from the LSCR studios in downtown Conroe, Texas. Lone Star Community Radio is supported by listeners like you. Donate and sponsor today. For more information on getting involved with Lone Star Community Radio, contact us at lscrstudios at gmail.com or visit us online at www.irlonestar.com. You are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on... 104.5 KCZW LP Conroe and 106.1 KZCC LP Conroe and worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us on the Cindy Cochran Show. Uh, If you're just listening to us on 106.1 or 104.5, you have got something that will fill your ears and your head and your knowledge and just make you feel like, okay, I can sit down and talk to the guys at work now. I understand what's going on. Uh, But actually, it's just trying to get a hold of some of the facts and that those facts may help you. Uh, make some decisions and that kind of thing. And that's why we have a great sponsor and guest today, uh, Chris Wooten, which we love and we thank him every day on the show for being our sponsor. Uh, We we will not forget that you came in and you just uh, bolstered us up like uh, Chase is bolstering up some of those banks, other banks out there. (laughs) But we thank you so much. but anyway, I, I do want to, uh, to say that yesterday we, we had our signing uh, show. On Tuesdays, it's all dedicated to the deaf. And so we sign everything. And, and so I had a, a coda. A coda is a child of deaf adults. And so she, and she's an interpreter, expert interpreter. And she uh, was great. And so, and a lot, so many of the deaf know, know her. So it was it was wonderful, wonderful program, and I've had so much fun and frustration trying to find uh, people that would come on the show and try to explain what we're going to do, and it's on radio, and they're trying to think, wait a minute, it's on radio, but my friends can't hear it. Uh, but but we explained to them, you know, that it's just streamed, and you see it on YouTube, and mm. YouTube understand YouTube, okay. So uh, anyway, I just want to thank her again. She was she was just great. Uh, so we're going to now introduce our special guest, Chris Wooten. He is the owner of Wooten Financial Group, and uh, they're right down the street. They've been here in Conroe for, you know, over two decades. Is that right? That's right. Fair that's, enough. That's, that's fair enough. Uh, but you don't stay that long uh, if, you know, if you're not doing the right thing or people are mad at you and they, you know, they're saying bad things about you. They don't. And so anyway, and every and there's been two times when we're talking about the sponsor, Chris Wooten, and our guest knew him. He was either lived in their neighborhood or they knew him from him coming into their establishment. And uh, I'm so used to signing for yesterday, I'm going to get my hands su- shut up. Okay, lay down. Okay, so. Uh, That's impressive, by the way, <laughs> that you can talk and sign at the same time. And Well, it's a good, it's a good thing I, I started learning that way because that's – doing interviews and things like that you need to know that but a lot of people only sign and they go like i can't talk and sign at the same time Mm. that's that's not not possible whether i'm doing all the right signs or all like that may be different (laughs) but i i think it no uh anyway so i i I love the fact that uh, chris is such a good neighbor and he's a good person that people have said, oh, yeah, I love Chris. He's, he's so good. He's such a good man. And uh, so we have him on the show. And I had him on because he is so involved in the financial world uh, because of his clients and, and people that come in there and asking for advice. And so he is, um, he's someone that I feel like probably knows more about than I do. But I do listen to Fox News. I have stayed at a Holiday Inn. So I, I feel like I'm right there ready. To uh, to question him, mm-hmm. Chris. Thank you. Welcome. Thank back. you. <laughs> yeah, it's glad glad to be back. It's I know, always it's, fun coming on the show. Well, it was only like a week or two weeks ago that you were on here. Feels and, like it. Yeah, yeah. and I I thought 
I don't think it's too soon to have him back because uh, I appreciate that. He would, uh, you would know. And so a lot of, a lot of stress, a lot of angst that's going on in the world today. And maybe not necessarily in, in Texas, but it makes us feel like it's, it's everywhere. Mm. And so I just need to understand, uh, do, should we feel safe? Should we just do a lot of, of investigating? Should we know what's going on in the bank that's holding our money and we need to go talk to them? They, uh, one bank said, I have people in here every day and I have to spend talking mm-hmm. to them and talking them off the roof and all because of the nationwide uh, problem scaring them so bad. Well, what I would say to the community bank employee is you need to have your corporate staff depending on if you're regional or one of the big corporate East Coast banks or whatever, you need to have corporate communicate with your depositors better. Okay? Very good. Uh, part of the problem is that people don't, they don't know and they don't understand, uh, for example, what has caused the problems of the meltdown of these, you know, primary three that are in the news, but certainly the uh, questionable aspects of the industry at large, broadly, not just here in the States, but also globally. Uh, There are large institutions that are, for lack of a better term, backbones of global banking. Okay, it's what allows capital to flow between nations, between businesses, between individuals, you know, whatever. Um, And people don't, they just don't understand how the system works and what the risks are in it. So, if I were a bank corporate, I'd be saying, hey, here's our balance sheet, and here's how to interpret it, and here's what it means, and here's what would have to happen for it to go sideways. Right? Oh, that, you're right. Um, that would be you know, great. Will they do that? I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, people are probably familiar with um, Amogee Bank. That's, we, we bank, my family banks at Amogee. Um, they're owned by Zion uh, Bank out of, I think, Utah. Um, they're considered one of the large regionals okay, that yes. you hear talked about in the news. Mm-hmm. Well, a few days after the whole stuff in, you know, Signature and SVB and so forth went sideways, um, I'm getting an email from them. You know, here's, here's our uh, capacity to borrow if it ever came. You know, we have a strong balance sheet. We're, you know, meaning they were trying to put at ease their depositors. They didn't go into great detail. Um, Mm -hmm. thankfully I have the ability to go in and see that to some degree, but, um, at the same time, I also understand how the banking systems work and that I think if people understood it uh, a little bit better, it would help put them at ease a little bit. Good. Good. Okay. Um, certainly the news doesn't help because they're, you know, you got to remember news agencies, whether it's Fox or anybody else. Okay. What's their number one goal and job? is to get eyeballs on them and and, and, and that gets that them what uh, money right. from okay. advertisers so it's the, about ratings yes okay um anytime you watch any show and they're looking you in the eyeball and they're saying we just want to inform you mm-hmm. we just want okay that may be certainly part of it but at the end of the day their job is to make money and right. they make money by getting increased ratings and they get increased ratings by stoking emotions, primarily fear and greed, uh, mm-hmm. especially if you're talking about a financial stock sh- uh, type talk show. Uh-huh. Um, and, and look, I'm not down on any of that. It makes for entertainment to a large degree. And certainly there is some information buried in it. But part of the problem with what we've got going on in the banking side of things right now is the one thing we don't need is for people to lose trust in, in the system and be fearful. Right. Because when people are in that state of mind, they tend to make really, really, really poor decisions. Okay. Right. Um, that's but, one thing we don't need. But I think that it's, um, it's where the, the branch banks mm-hmm. usually have uh, lost so much, so much of the youth because I mean, I mean, banking, going in and standing in line sure. and always getting the wrong line and, and trying to bank uh, because they don't 
they don't see why in the world would you do that when I can go online and I can send a, you know, if I have to get a check deposit, I can do all of that stuff. It's all done online. And so they don't even know what a branch bank really is and what's going on with that because other stuff's on, on the internet. And I think, uh, I think that's one thing that, that uh, Mr. Wonderful from the shark tank Mm -hmm. uh, was pontificating is that, uh, because the youth is are not going to be using these branch, branch banks, that it's a it's really a waste of brick and mortar, and that uh, those are all going to go away eventually. And that was his prediction. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Okay, I mean, you got to remember there's always another generation coming up. Right. Okay. Right. And those generations are getting more and more and more technologically inclined and advanced. Mm-hmm. And it's true. If you think about even the way you bank today, uh, you use a debit card, you transfer money from one account to another all online. Okay. You can do all of that. Um, I would venture to say 95% of what we do, even those of us that still, uh, dirty word, use a checkbook. Ooh. Okay. Ooh, don't stand uh, in my line. kids don't even know what a checkbook <laughs> is. <laughs> and okay? don't stand in line at a grocery store and pull out a checkbook and start writing because the groans right. will happen all the way right. down the line. But my, my point is that they, you know, they just, it, he, Kevin O'Leary's right in the sense that the whole world is going more digital. Right. Um, that's part of the whole blockchain conversation, which I won't go down that rabbit trail, but um, a lot of what much of the future of this type of, of stuff is going to be built on is that mm-hmm. blockchain. Okay. Um, and you know, banking's going to go right along with it. So, yeah, I mean, there could come a day in time where bank branches and things like that become completely obsolete. I don't think, I think there's a part, depending on what part of the banking you're doing, that may always need to be there. Because I do think that people at some level, um, there will always be people that just desire the trust arrangement of being able to look somebody in the face. Right. Okay. And you know who that is? Uh, Sam. Yeah. He and, has to do that. But even even if I go down that road, it could be a matter of not at a physical branch. It could be, you know, a Zoom meeting, looking mm-hmm. at each other eyeball to eyeball. Those kind of comfort levels change over time sure. as technology becomes more adopted, right? Well, like the branch banks – they also handle loans and they and small businesses and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So that'll that seems like they have to have a face to face meeting or yeah. be be in touch with the bank. So um, maybe they'll specialize or there'll be different, you know, where you don't do all your banking like the regular banking and checks and mm-hmm. um, when they bounce and things like that, and that you don't have to really look at them anymore. You just uh, send some money in. Well, I mean, even even that side of it, you know, loan departments and, you know, applying for a mortgage, whatever, um, it's already in the works. Uh, they're trying to digitize all of it where, for example, through blockchain, you could have a smart contract literally from front to back instead of having to sign 4,000 pages and, you know, giving them the name of your firstborn and whatever right. to get a mortgage. It's all done digitally, okay, and you can execute a mortgage or a smart contract anywhere globally between institutions um, in the blink of an eye. Well, are um, there signs that, that we can, as depositors, you know, not saying we're not on any board or we don't have stock in, in that bank or anything, but that we, there are signs that you go, uh, this may be too risky. Are they, they're taking too much risk and, and they're using my money to use to do that? Yeah, well, let's back up a little bit. Okay, so I think it's important for your listeners to understand. Um, I mean, how many people, if you ask them, how does a bank work? Okay, mm-hmm. uh, so so our our country, our banking system, operates off of something called a fractional reserve banking system. So if I were to ask you, what is that? Could you explain it? It doesn't seem like a whole. It's a fractional thing. I don't okay. know. Well, it's got the word fractional. <laughs> yes, that makes right. Richard, what would you say? Do you know? Okay. So <laughs> so here's kind of the bottom line. Um, and this is going to be very high level. Uh, oh, okay. you see, Richard just put the mic to his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
only, I mean, if you think about the name, fractional reserve banking system, it means that only a fraction of the bank deposits, that's the money that, you know, John Smith, Susie Q, whoever, goes mm-hmm. down and deposits into the bank, only a fraction of that is required to be available for withdrawal at any given point in time. And do we did we know that? I don't think I knew that. Now, so the question most people ask is, well, well, then where's my money? Okay, well, the bank takes your money that you deposit. Mm-hmm. They invest it. They loan it out at a given rate of interest to make money on it. Um, and then typically, if they're you know, if their balance sheet is being managed properly, they're uh, going to have some level of liquidity and cash on hand, you know, for uh, typical day-to-day withdrawals, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, the reason that works, I mean, they, they set it up that way because if you if you have a system that's structured that way, it allows for expansion of the economy at a much faster and more reasonable rate, uh, meaning business transactions and, you know, so forth. Um, and, and it's not just the U.S. I mean, most of the world's banking systems are kind of structured in this format. But why don't they why don't they tell us where our money, you know, like send out to depositors uh, where we're going to be uh, investing in and what we're going to be investing in? Do they feel like um, that's none of our business? Or Well, they're a company. Most of <laughs> yeah. them are for-profit businesses, obviously. Right. And so... You know, that's up to them and their board of directors and, you know, shareholders and so forth. Um, but you can see it. Now, you, you might have to educate yourself on how to make heads or tails of it. But uh, especially publicly traded companies, I mean, they post financials. They post earnings. They, you know, all of those things. Um, so you can literally go see what's on their balance sheet. They're audited typically annually. Um, they have to produce an audit. So, or audit report, rather. So, you know, there are ways to go out and see some of it, what right? They're doing. Um, but you may have to do a little bit of digging in terms of, okay, well, how do I know if they're really sound or whatever the case is? Right. Okay. But the bottom line is, is if you understand how the system works, then you begin, begin to understand why things like FDIC protection um, are necessary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if a bank, whether it's for one reason or another, if it gets into trouble, then you have protections up to a certain amount by an insurance program called FDIC, okay? And that insurance, um, that's really what the average depositor at a bank needs to kind of cue in on, right? You don't, (laughs) meaning you don't necessarily have to understand a balance sheet and all the financial detail and minutia if you'll just do the simple level of risk management that you can do, which is you don't hold $50 million in an account at a bank that's only insured in that account for $250,000. <laughs> that's yep. part of the reason that's true. SVB, Signature, mm-hmm. okay, we could go down the line. Now, there are reasons why the bank got into trouble. That's true, and, and we can talk about that. But uh, the point is, is... Regardless of what the reasons are, had they been doing proper risk management at their own personal and corporate level, meaning the people banking at the institution, mm-hmm. it wouldn't we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Okay, maybe we're, we'd have the conversation of the bank failing, but people losing all their money, or more importantly, the federal agencies like the Fed and the Treasury and FDIC coming in and breaking their own rules to keep these people whole, like they did in two thousand eight. Yes. Okay. Those kind of things wouldn't have to occur. But, um, like, Chase was one of the ones that are coming in to, to help prop up. Well, a lot of your big banks, okay, so the, more, the, the larger banks that have a stronger balance sheet, more liquidity, those kind of things, um, a lot of times in these types of events, uh, the, the government agencies will go to them and, you know, try to get them to help out and that may mean they step in and literally buy a bank. I mean, if you look at 2008, right, right, you, you saw a lot of that kind of thing happen. Um, for, some, for them, sometimes it can be a really good deal because they can step in and, uh, in the case of one of the banks, uh, I think it was, I can't remember now, 
I've got it somewhere in my notes, but you know, one of them got purchased for literally 99, you know, 99% discount <laughs> uh, for, you know, going <laughs> in and great. buying. And to buy it. Uh, so my point is, is that, um, well, there's a lot of points. Well, and we, we can go through those one by one. No, if you want. but I, I've heard, I heard that, um, that these banks went in to prop them up and they're giving them, bringing in so much money and some <coughs> one bank wanted to buy another one. And they had uh, depositors and stockholders and all that, that shouldn't they be vote on that and say, it's okay, go ahead and, and prop up that bank, take our money and, and help them. Even though it was their stupidity or not, their oversight are not in taking no, because, too much risk. No, because you're supposed to understand the rule going in. Right? Is that what you're? Is that what you are informed of? Like what we could be doing is things that we're not going to be maybe telling you all the time what we're going to be doing, but we think this is going to be best for. Well, if you're talking about how they're investing and so mm-hmm. forth, I mean, if you look at some aspects of take SVB for example, um, a lot of what they were <laughs> investing in were very safe and secure government securities. Mm-hmm safest asset around okay right the problem is is that they bought them when interest rates were historically low the fed began it raising interest rates that causes the price of a government bond to to fall and now they have a 100 percent safe if they hold it to maturity long term mm-hmm. government bond but if they get in a situation where they need to sell it to raise capital to meet withdrawal demands and the value on their balance sheet has dropped because of interest rates going up. Thank you, Federal Reserve. Yes. That's what. That's one of the issues that caused the problem. They had losses in all of these assets on their balance sheet that they didn't have before. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole line. I mean, maybe it would be helpful. Of course, it's it's your show, but uh, <laughs> it, it, no, please. It, it might be helpful you. for us to maybe just step back and look at the bigger picture. Okay. So essentially what you've had is the collapse of three FDIC-insured institutions. You've got SVB, you've got Signature, and a company called Silvergate, which was a crypto uh, uh, deal. But essentially when these things collapsed, uh, or you begin to hear these you know, rumblings, mm-hmm. it sends depositors kind of scrambling looking for a place to repark cash. Okay, meaning in other banks and other brokerage companies, they're pulling money out of these institutions and rushing somewhere else to try to put their money back in. Um, and it's due to fear, whether it's grounded in reality or not. Mm-hmm. There's a fear contagion that begins to take hold about the stability of not only these banks that have, have you know subsequently gone under, but also other regional banks um, or small banks, locals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, once that fear contagion begins to snowball, you can really very quickly end up with a run on many banks where people are just completely losing it, freaking out, pulling all their money out of their local banks. Well, even banks that are well capitalized with plenty of liquidity per se uh, for a normal market environment in a case like that is going to have trouble meeting liquidity demands because the system is not designed for everybody and their mother to go pull money out of a bank all at one time. Right. That's not how the system's designed. It's a fractional reserve system. Okay. So this then, remember, bigger picture, mm-hmm. this then prompts federal regulators to essentially rescue depositors, not just at the limits, but in total. Okay. Meaning they step in and they offer this lifeline. Uh, to backstop all of the deposits, especially like an SVP uh, case, uh, so that nobody loses. And that immediately caused global aftershock because any, if, if they're going to go violate their own rules mm-hmm. on how much protection they're offering, that immediately says to anyone who's smart enough to look at it, okay, they, they think that there's a bigger issue at hand here. There's a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to alleviate, and that's eventually what we found out. They, they were afraid of a systemic contagion, okay? Right. 
where this begins to happen at bank after bank after bank after bank, um, and then it grows into a problem that they can't stop. Right. Okay. I tend to take, this is my personal opinion, I tend to take the other side of the coin, and I can give you reasons for it, but um, they should have let the depositors fail. And I know yes. people are going to hate me for saying that. No, that's what Mr. But, Wonderful said. But it thing. is what the rules are. And you can't tell me that a 50, that a, that a tech company with the brains of people that design that kind of stuff that are in that space, that are designing all this technology, I have a hard time believing that they don't know what their FDIC limits are and that they don't know how to spread risk among multiple banks right. to do that. If not them personally, they have got to know people in their circles of influence that do. Right. Okay. But isn't that just a laziness and or just a, you know, it hadn't happened for years? And well, so I think it's more, now. it becomes more of the, I mean, if you think of SBB, um, it was really kind of the go-to bank for, for tech capital and things like that. Okay. And so it's word of mouth, you know, and mm -hmm. so everyone has their money there. I mean, there were hedge fund managers there. Peter Thiel, like the day before it collapsed, had, I think it was $50 million on deposit there. And uh, yeah, yeah. he pulled all of his money out and, and told everyone he knew, if you got money there, take it out. I think something bad's getting ready to happen. Okay, well, here's a hedge fund manager with a ton of money in a facility well above FDIC limits, right? right. But he probably knew the risk he was taking. Mm -hmm. And when he saw the risk coming unwound, meaning, some okay, something is not right, something's going on, this was about the time they're saying, okay, we're going to try to raise money through a stock issue. Uh, we're, you know, yes. they start trying to raise capital because mm -hmm. they don't have the money to meet all the withdrawals they were experiencing. Um, he knew something was wrong, and, and he got out. Okay, So point just being, um, it, it started this, in a big picture, this kind of um, devolving of, of the system over, over some of these individual banks. So then, as a response to the U.S. bank collapses, okay, especially these first uh, three, then you had a Swiss bank, Credit Suisse. Um, now, they already had troubles of their own. They were already in financial turmoil, trying to raise capital. They had, you know, been through the ringer. Um, they then had depositors panic um, and, and begin to ditch them as a bank, meaning they start pulling their money out, right? right. Well... As a result of that, and, and that's an important one because Credit Suisse is what's considered a, a systematically important global institution. Right. Okay. Um, they were forced by Swiss regulators into kind of an arranged marriage, if you will, um, with one of their larger Swiss rivals, UBS. You've heard of UBS Financial, yes. okay? Yes. Well, UBS essentially got to buy them at about a 99% discount. They just stepped in and bought Credit Suisse. Okay. Problem solved. We, we think. We uh -huh. hope. We hope. Right? Right. Here's the thing. Nobody really knows uh, how deep systemic issues are within the banking system. And look, that's not just, you know, big banks. Uh, the biggest concern they have right now is with regional and small regionals banks. Okay. They just don't know. Um, based on, you know, if a systemic fear contagion type thing happened and you begin to have multiple runs on multiple banks, they don't know how deep it would go, right? Because it depends on how bad the runs are mm -hmm. as to how far and how widespread it would become and, and how bad. But that's one of the reasons the regulators stepped in, in, in their opinion, mm -hmm. and violated their own rules and backstopped all of these people is because they did not want it to become systemic. Okay. So um, you're, you're saying like, um, okay, I'm a horrible example of any of this because um, I'm the one that like may check their balance at, um, oh, nine o'clock at night or something, just, just going through and saying, mm -hmm. okay, now what, what did I spend today? And uh, realize I've got about 15 minutes to get down to that bank and, and deposit a check because I don't know how to take a picture of the check and I don't know what to do with that. So I like going up to the and seeing what I've done, and I and it's not much, but it's just to cover that. It's just to cover that, mm -hmm. and um, and so I'm not I'm not anybody that they 
would even look at or worry. Now, Sam may be different, and he may have a more respect about what he's going to do and, and that. And so they, they're not going to cover anything that I had deposited in, that, in the bank. And if they're going to go under, they're not going to go under with, you know, because of me. But uh, pulling, it's people pulling out money where it's not up to 250000 is what they're insuring. Is that correct? They insure, uh, FDIC insures money up to yeah, 250000 so it's, it's per depositor, right. per account, right. per institution. Right. Okay. So let's say somebody, you know, I, and when I say institution, I mean bank. Right. So that doesn't mean, well, <laughs> I, I run to four different branches of Amogee. Uh-huh. And therefore, I have four times. No, it's that Amogee is a institution. Right. Okay. Um, and and you, I'm using them just because that's where I bank. But I mean, bottom line is, is it could be anybody, any bank, right? Right. But it depends. You can have more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of protection. It depends on the type of account you have. Uh, meaning, for example, if you're an individual and you have a checking account. All right, so let's just use you as, as an example. Cindy can have a checking account. That checking account is in your name. Right. You have up to $250,000 worth of FDIC protection, okay? Now, let's say Cindy has a savings account. Well, guess what? That is per account, per institution, mm-hmm. per depositor. A savings account is not a checking account. It's a savings account. So you have another $250,000 oh, okay. in that account, Okay. Let's say that Cindy's married, which you are, yes. and you have a joint account. Mm-hmm. Well, you and your husband would be covered per account, different title, joint account now in two names, half a million dollars, $250,000 each. Okay, So it is possible to have money in a single institution above $250,000 that is protected depending on how the accounts are titled. If you had a trust account, for example, right. that's another $250,000. Okay, so depending on how you have them titled and broken up, uh, you can have more than $250,000 in a given institution uh, and still have some decent protection. Well, I think, you know, because they say the majority of people are just making it paycheck to paycheck. And so they they kind of laugh at, boy, if I had $250,000 somewhere, that would be great. But I only have like maybe... uh, 500 right now there and i just want to make sure that that's covered and it's fine well i mean the average well let's just put it this way the average joe depositor and his spouse Mm -hmm. okay with most banking institutions um, is nowhere near the fdic limit right okay now the problem that svb that type of risk management that they had, and that was really their biggest issue, was they had really poor risk management of their balance sheet uh, at the bank. Um, SVB was completely different from your typical regional community type bank, but because no one knows for sure what everyone's balance sheet looks like, right, right without going and doing a lot of digging and investigating, that's where a lot of the question is, right? How how much how much uh, risk would it take, or risk, not the right word, how much of a run would it take on a given bank to cause it to start to have liquidity issues, okay? But SVB's biggest problem was it had a, relatively speaking, okay, so it's a 15th largest bank in the country, but relative to other banks, it had a really small pool of depositors with really large amounts on deposit. Oh, and the... Whereas covered. other banks, uh, typical banks, mm-hmm. have really large numbers of depositors with really small amounts of money right. on deposit. Okay, mm-hmm. so the the chance that a bank, a typical bank, um, is going to have enough withdrawals on a given day for it to cause a liquidity crisis within the bank is is slim to none. Mm-hmm. But but it can happen, right? Right. Um, and that's that's what the Fed and those agencies were trying to prevent was a systemic issue um, that even on a normal, well-capitalized uh, bank caused them to have problems just like SVB would have problems, okay? Um, so does that make sense, kind of? Yeah, and I know you, you get happy when my eyes look like 
And when that, they're glazing I, over. I, no, no. <laughs> no, when it looks like, okay, she understood that. It looks like I just, the rest of it. I just got this vision in my head of all your listeners just literally going to sleep right now. They're just like, this is boring. No, not a, not if you have money in the bank. You want to know, <laughs> is it safe? So, they, they want someone to say, everything is going to be okay. Don't worry. Uh, yeah. Texas is strong, and we got enough. We'll just start pumping more oil or something like that. That will be okay. Yeah. So you got to keep in mind that a lot of banks, especially you know, if they're what they call regionals, meaning, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they may have locations in Texas, but they probably also have rota- uh, locations elsewhere. Okay. Like um, Wood Forest. Wood Forest is is it only in? I don't know. In Texas? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Because I saw their picture up on the screen. It scared me. I thought, oh, no. Yeah. You know, but they were just talking about different banks and, and the regional yeah. banks. But, I mean, even, you know, even with that, I mean, the fear that a lot of people have is, well, you know, they, like there's a – I think Kevin O'Leary may be one of them. Um, there are people that are talking about we should completely do away with community and, and, and regional banks and mm-hmm. just have a centralized banking system with – you know, maybe the big five, okay, um, and and they should just control everything. That'll make it easier to monitor. Okay, um, there is a reason we have a decentralized banking system. Right, I can see okay? that coming. Meaning yeah. regionally, people's banking needs can be different. Right. Now, Leary's sure. Leary's argument, which I don't necessarily disagree with, and there's there's some merit. Mm-hmm. His argument is well, the digitization of economy solves the problem. You don't need regional banks and so forth, physical locations, all of that kind of stuff, um, because anybody in a given region of the country can now digitally go to a bank and open an account and do banking anywhere they right. want to. Okay. Right. Um, my, my problem with that is I don't want the entire banking system in the hands of a few. I agree. That you're, you're asking yes. for problems. Yeah. Okay? Um, we see what power does to people. Well, sure. I mean, it's, it's no different than uh, the anti-monopoly laws that are on the books, right? When mm-hmm. you centralize power in, in one corporation in a given industry, um, it squashes competition. It causes, I mean, it causes all kinds of problems. So, right. you know, if you're going to do it in banking, do you honestly think the same thing is not going to happen? Right, that it's not going to cause problems because uh, exactly. they'll be able to write the rules for everything. Oh, uh, that's there scary. there won't be enough competition, <laughs> right, out oh, that's there. Scary. So you know, yeah. there's arguments for both sides, mm. but um, I think the system, the way that it is today, is fine. The way that it's set up and the way that it is designed is fine. I think we, as patrons of these banks, need to educate ourselves. Right. Uh, we need to understand what the risks are to us. Right. We can't do a lot to control what the bank is doing other than knowing and understanding and spreading our risk around. So tell me the questions I should ask the bank I, I bank at um, or are going to bank at. I, I need to ask questions. What questions do I will they answer or, or will it make them mad that you're asking? But what questions can I ask them? And sound like I know what I'm talking about. Honestly, Cindy, I don't even know that the average person, if you walked into a, a bank branch mm-hmm. and you asked the branch manager, um, I don't know that that they could really even answer the question. And I and I think the answer you would probably get is I can't give you that information. I, w- I would have to get approval from corporate or, you know, okay, whatever well the case is. Okay, well, I can't is. give you okay. my money because i got to get well, And that may be, yeah. okay? Cause but, you, but, but, you, but I think asking a question like, look, you know, I, I've been hearing the stuff on the news, okay, about the whole banking issue, and I'm kind of scared about that. And what can you give me as an assurance that you guys are, and you may have to get into some lingo, right, but um, – what can you tell me that would give me some assurance that you guys are well capitalized enough that you could weather that type of a storm? Perfect. I need to record that and write that down. And then, well, luckily this is being recorded. Yes, and I don't can, know if you knew that. Yeah, we, <laughs> it's a good point. So you can go back on YouTube. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if I can get this technology down, I'll be good. Uh, you can go back on YouTube and listen to that. Uh, yeah. And that's what you need to go in and ask them. Because a woman going into the mechanics, you know, and sure. trying to tell them yeah. what's wrong with my car, and they can, I can only do 
sounds. Yeah, I mean, an, another one would be, you know, uh, uh, what percentage of your deposits do you have in cash on hand? See, that's okay. Okay, now they're not going to think I'm I'm setting up to rob the bank or anything. If I well, no, ask no, no, no. I'm not talking about like sitting in a drawer behind the counter. I'm saying as as a bank as a whole. <laughs> right. I mean, there is a metric. There is a percentage. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and and look. A guy that's in banking in that line of business day in and day out, I mean, I, I kind of deal in the stock and investment and financial planning world. Right. Um, so I know enough to ask a question reasonably, right? But I can't get into the nitty-gritty minutia that, that you know, uh, somebody sitting behind a treasury desk might might know to ask, right? Because there's all kinds of financial ratios and things that you can look at for a balance sheet that helps kind of determine if it's sound or not. But liquidity, cash on hand, uh, what the value of their investments that they've made, meaning, you know, you are been? you in the black or are you in the red? Yeah. You know, what, what's it look like? Oh, I so, like that. I like um, that one. Those are just good common things uh, that, that, that you could ask, right? Well, because um, if you educate yourself enough, just like you said, you're going to have a little more sleep at night. And not be so worried about that, right? Well, and I think so. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I read an article, um, man, I want to say it was in, um, may have been a Fox Business article, okay? But there is a former FDIC chair, a lady named Sheila uh, Bear, I think is how they pronounce the last name. I'm going to read you a quote okay. that she said. She said, I think this is meaning talking about the banking crisis we're currently still talking through. She said, I think this is more of a Bear Stearns moment. Now, she's referencing back to 2008. Okay. Okay. You remember the banking issue that happened in 2008, Mm -hmm. the mortgage crisis? Right. Okay. Well, um, if I look back at the signaling events of 2008, the Great Recession from 07 to 09, okay, that included the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers. Yes. J.P. Morgan Chase's discount purchase of Bear Stearns when Bear Stearns, you know, eventually went belly up. And also Bank of America buying Merrill Lynch, who also was in trouble. These, these were powerhouses on Wall Street. Right. Okay. Well, in total, $443 billion in taxpayer money was put in to bail out these big financial institutions. Okay. Now, what's the difference wow. between that back right. then and what is happening today? Well, what we're being told is no taxpayer money will be used to backstop all these people uh, that we're backstopping at, at SVB, for example, uh, even though some of those include Chinese investors that, that, that they're keeping whole. Okay. And I'm not going to get political. I'm just saying <laughs> okay. there's issues there, right? Oh, yeah. But, but what, I'm, what I am saying is, Anybody who thinks that it's not taxpayer dollars, the FDIC is an insurance program that banks pay to be a part of. They pay a premium, right, Mm -hmm. to be in the insurance program. It all goes into a pool, right? Uh, Who do you think the bank is charging to be able to pay the FDIC premium? They don't pay that cost. They pass it through to you. Of course. It is always the taxpayer that is funding it. So anybody listening right now, don't don't believe the political. Uh, what's a kind way to say? Bull, I know it. Bull. Uh, the yeah. <laughs> don't believe the hype. How about that? Right. That's, that's a kind of way. To say that's it. very way. Don't believe very the hype. Way. So let me go back to Sheila Bear. Right. So okay. former FDIC chair. She's referring back to 2008. She says, "I think that the current banking crisis is more of a Bear Stearns moment. Meaning, I think a lot of people, including me." back at that time, so she was with the FDIC at that time, said when they bailed out Bear Stearns, they increased moral hazard, meaning they created an expectation with the banks of further bailouts. And that's exactly what ended up happening uh, with the whole um, uh, Lehman Brothers issue, is they created an expectation where... Eventually, Lehman Brothers thought they were too big to fail because this other bank got bailed out, and so they didn't correct course or do anything to try to stay afloat, and they failed. 
<laughs> okay, because they had this false expectation in their mind right. that, oh, well, they bailed them out, they'll bail us out. We're, we're bigger than they are, and they were too big to fail, so they won't let us fail. Right. Oh, well, unfortunately, not so much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, think about how many people that hurt. Okay. Um, I think the bottom line is, you know, fear right now is really setting in. Uh, yes. Because there's obviously those of us that went through 2008. We saw mm-hmm. what happened. Now we're seeing things again. And so people are wondering what kind of cracks are in the system, right? right? What What is it behind the scenes we can't see? Yes. Uh, and, yes. And, and the bottom line is, if you look at the way SVB went down, if there are cracks and if there are problems, you will not know about it until it's too late. They're not going to tell you until the night before. Till the night before. Okay. Because if <laughs> they do, if they do, <laughs> it's going to compound the problem. If you know there's a problem with your bank, you're right. going to run in and try to get all your money out. Sure. Okay. They don't want that to happen. No. Right. Uh, because there is the off chance that, you know, even if there are some issues, um, as long as they've got that liquidity, they can stay afloat. Right. Um, so, but my point is, this fear is kind of setting in. Uh, there's uncertainty there. And to me, by the federal agencies doing what they've done, all they're doing is compounding that issue. They're thinking that they're calming the fear. Assuring but what everyone. it's really yeah. done is it said, okay, well, you were willing to bail out these rich tech folks, okay, a lot of them who were political donors to your campaigns and everything else. Are you saying that if a regional bank fails, you're just going to let them fail now? Or are you going to just bail everybody out? You see what I'm saying? Yes. It creates an uncertainty. And you know that's... <laughs> that won't happen. But it it's funny, it's, it harkens back to <clears throat> it's a wonderful life. And and that was the first thing I thought of when they, they said there may be a run on the banks. And mm-hmm. I was like, that can't happen today for crying out loud. That's just no. And then the more you listen to it and you feed it's really I had turned off once. I said, Okay, that's enough because yeah. when Charles Payne has a breakdown in front of the in front of everybody, meltdown. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you got to be scared or something. But um, but you've given us great ideas for number one. Just you know, calmly go in and ask your banker these questions, and to have them tell you. And if they won't tell you, and they they say it's none of your business, um, then then you can maybe respond to that. But you've given us a lot today, yeah. and that's why. We love you so much. Well, the thing I want people to leave with, okay, if, if you could take one thing, maybe two things away, is number one, you know, this this is America. Right. And as Americans, you know, we're these fiercely independent, or at least we claim to be, mm-hmm. uh, patriots, right? Very. Yeah. Uh, we do not depend on government, or we're not supposed to, we mm-hmm. claim, right, uh, for anything. Now- the truth is we do to a certain measure and degree. Sure. But my point is you are responsible for managing your own business. Okay? Yes, sir. Get yourself informed. Yes, sir. And if that means calling your bank, calling a guy like me, whatever, all right, inform yourself. Right. If you've got a million dollars sitting in bank XYZ and you're not sure how much of it is protected, it's time to get informed. And to start asking a few questions, right? Because it is possible you might be able to keep it all there and have it insured. But the odds are you probably won't, okay? And if if we're going to manage ourselves and manage our own risks, you need to be informed on how to do that and then go get it done. Right. Right? Don't be the person that was at SVP. That's it. Just get her done. That's it. Thank you, Chris, for being here. Oh, thank, thank you for having me. And I hope it wasn't too confusing. No, and, and don't don't go any further than out there. Just just wait for the next time we need you to come. <laughs> poor Chris, he has so much going on. I'm sure you have plenty of people coming and asking you questions. Can I say one more thing? Oh, okay, go. Do we have time? One. one don't more. panic. Don't fear. Okay, just use your intelligence. I love that. I won't panic or I won't fear, but. I'll try and use Sam's intelligence. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, thank you guys for joining us. And tomorrow we're going to be talking to Shannon, who is uh, uh, 
the person who knows everything about Conroe and what's going on in Conroe. And we're going to find out what you can be doing this weekend or next weekend. So be sure and be with us. Uh, she's beautiful. She's she's uh, Conroe's treasure. So uh, stay stay with us. Stay with us. Um, and we will be back uh, next Tuesday signing. Okay? Okay? That will be great. <laughs> Thank you again, Chris, Thank our you. sponsor. And we will be back. And first responders, <laughs> first responders, we love you. We love you. Every week, people ask the same two questions. Are they ready to retire? Will their savings last for their lifetimes? Hi, this is Chris Wooten with Wooten Financial Group. Our firm has been in Montgomery County for decades, but the hopes and dreams of the people we serve never change. We help answer these two questions and many more that people have about their uncertain financial future. We have a simple introductory client experience that allows us to get to know the client and includes a few meetings for the client to kick the tires at no charge. We provide a concise, one-page summary that helps the client get a better handle on which questions are the right questions for them. To learn more about Wooten Financial Group's process of helping their clients to a clear financial future and to see their contact information, visit Cindy Cochran's show page on IRLoneStar.com forward slash TCCS. Wooten Financial Group is a proud sponsor of the Cindy Cochran Show. Wooten Financial Group is available by phone at 936-449-5952 or visit them on the web at www.wootenfinancial.com. That's www.wootenfinancial.com. This program is sponsored by the Wooten Financial Group. It is not the intent of Wooten Financial Group to render or offer personalized investment advice or financial planning advice through this radio program or any related website. Wooten Financial Group's participation in this program is limited to providing general information on financial matters and should not be construed as financial recommendation or investment advice. Investment advisory services are offered through Game Plan Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission and the State of Texas. Insurance services are offered through Wooten Financial Group, Inc. Game Plan Advisors and Wooten Financial Group, Inc. are affiliated through common ownership and neither firm is affiliated with The Cindy Cochran Show. No listener should assume that any information presented and or made available on this program serves as the receipt of or a substitute for personalized individual advice from Game Plan Advisors, Wooten Financial Group, or any of their representatives.